Trust the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, LawPay. The practice of law changed significantly in the past decade, and perhaps the biggest disruption arrived in March, when the coronavirus pandemic forced most lawyers to leave their offices and work remotely. There's been challenges and fears for the profession, as well as a necessity to quickly change the way something has always been done. That's hard for lawyers. As part of a special series, the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered is asking lawyers about how they've done it and what they think will come next. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and my guest today is Patrick Krill, an attorney who is also a licensed and board-certified alcohol and drug counselor. He owns Krill Strategies, a consulting group focused on lawyers and their mental health. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephanie. It's great to be with you. So would you say that as more people are getting vaccinated and that leads to people going out and doing things and would you say we're in a time that many legal employers are asking people to come back? And if so, how is that being perceived by the employees who are lawyers? Sure. So overall, I would say it's a mixed bag across the board. So there are some regions in the country, and certainly there were some law firms that have largely had people in the office for a long time. Those groups and those firms are in the minority, and for the majority of lawyers and law firms or legal employers, people have been working remotely um, for quite a while now. And now, as you say, the levels of vaccination are rising, and it looks like many employers are welcoming or expecting their people back in the office uh, now or certainly after Labor Day. Some people are excited about that, and they're they're optimistic about what the next several months holds, and they're looking forward to seeing their colleagues or, or seeing their clients face-to-face and resuming some of the interactions that we used to have and, frankly, take for granted. Other people are not looking forward to it, and their, their level of not looking forward to it, I would say, ranges from apathy to outright dread. I mean, there are really some people who are not excited about the prospect of going back into the office under any circumstances. And so I think that's really important to understand as a baseline, not everybody is in the same place, which presents, I think, challenges for legal employers who are wanting to navigate this transition successfully. For the lawyers who are concerned about having to go back, what are, are there common reasons of why they don't want to? Some people have found that they're more productive in this environment. The research and the, the studies that I've seen on that point appear to be quite mixed. And you know, there, there's a lot of inconsistency in data that has been published. Some, some studies suggesting that people are more productive in this environment and others suggesting that people are simply working longer, but not necessarily more productive or engaged. But for some people, clearly that's it, right? They feel like they're getting more done. Their life feels more manageable without having to commute and do all of the other things that we used to have to do as part of a day in, day out work routine. For other people, it's given them the opportunity to spend time with family. Maybe they were somewhat reserved and and a little bit they preferred to be at home in the first place and going to work every day in an office has always been a struggle. And then there's another group of people that I do want us to spend a little bit of time talking about 
And that's the individuals who, those are the individuals who have found themselves struggling with their mental health and in some cases mightily over the course of the last year and a half. And for many of those people, maybe they're just not in a great place right now. They don't feel ready for prime time, so to speak. They don't feel ready to go back into the office. Maybe they've developed some some habits or some behavioral health problems that they you know, that that's giving them some pause about having to resume a routine and be around their colleagues. Um, but clearly for some people, the level of reservation about going back to the office is tied to struggles that they've been experiencing over the course of the last year and a half. Do you have a sense for people who are struggling and including with their mental health, is there, with some, is there kind of a sense of like, well, we're going to have to do this, so I'm going to try to get back on the wagon for whatever that wagon may be. Um, and maybe going back to talk therapy or getting yourself ready to do this, even if you don't want to. Yes, certainly for some people, that is where they are right now. That's that's the mindset that that they're experiencing. And there is a recognition because many legal employers at this point, if people aren't yet expected to be back in the office, there has been some statement or some outlining of expectations by the employer, by the firm saying, you know, we're, we're hoping everyone will be back at least X days per week after Labor Day, for example. So in some cases, the writing has begun to emerge on the wall and people are confronted with that looming reality. And it's also a subject that I've been speaking about more frequently in firms, or I should say, you know, sort of at firms virtually, um, this topic of how do we prepare for transition and how do we get ourselves ready to go back into an environment that may now feel foreign after a year and a half, especially if perhaps we've got some issues that we need to get a handle on or some behaviors that we know we've got to grapple with and address prior to being back in a work setting all of the time. Well, and what are some ideas on how you get ready? I know I was talking to someone and she was complaining a lot of her clothes don't fit. So she's like, well, I need to start eating healthy again and try to get some of this weight off or I'm going to have to go buy new clothes, which she didn't want to do. What are, what are some ways that you can be kind to yourself, but prepare yourself to do this thing you don't really want to do perhaps? Right. Yeah. You may not want to do it. You may not feel equipped or prepared to do it. It may seem daunting. And that could really apply, I would say, to a variety of challenges. It may be uh, like your friend, someone has found them, maybe they've gained a lot of weight or they just don't feel like they look like the old them that, that their colleagues were used to seeing. For other people, maybe they've been drinking too much or They've just developed some other behaviors, whatever it is, everybody's got something that they'd probably like to change at this point as we're beginning to emerge from COVID and, and go back into the workforce in person. And I would say to, to your point about being kind with yourself, really to try and view it with some level of incrementalism or to try and frame the prospect of change through that lens of incrementalism and gradual change, don't try to do too much too quickly. You'll find yourself overwhelmed. You'll be less likely to succeed in the long run. So I would say start by identifying what it is that you'd like to change. Begin to prepare to make that change, gathering resources, telling people that you might want to 
achieve this change, kind of building a little bit of support around that. So you have people providing you with that moral support or accountability um, and then begin to do it. Right. And so maybe that's starting to go back to the gym or maybe it's changing something in your diet or it's changing some other aspect of your daily routine that isn't serving you well. And once you begin to actually engage in that change process and experience some small wins and, you know, maybe it's really small wins or it's, it's minor progress at first, but that builds upon itself. And over time, you'll find yourself getting closer to your goal. So to just kind of recap that, I would say step back, pause and, and be honest with yourself. What things are maybe nagging you or do you think you need to address now that we're in this moment where things are changing again and we're going back into the work environment, identify some goals, map out some goals and begin to pursue them uh, with preparation, but in a sort of gradual incremental way so that you're more likely to, to get where you want to be. I've also heard in conversation that the conditions for when people go back to the office makes some people really nervous. Like in some cities, there's not a mask mandate for indoor work. So you might work at a law firm where the people sitting in pods don't have to wear masks and that that makes you nervous. Do you have thoughts on that in terms of just, I feel like there's a lot of people, we have a lot of PTSD from the pandemic because there were so many unknowns for so long and you know the consequences of getting COVID could, you know, were fatal. Sure. And I think that, again, there's a lot of variability there. Some people are very concerned about those issues. Other people, not so much. Maybe they're feeling safe with their vaccination or they're feeling good about what the environment's going to look like at their firm or at their place of employment when they return. But I would say for somebody who is experiencing some level of apprehension in that regard, they're nervous, they're anxious. Um, the first step is to just simply acknowledge that and and give yourself permission to be to be anxious or give yourself permission to be unsettled because that is the emotion that you're experiencing. And so it doesn't help to sort of beat yourself up about it. Um, but then look for ways to to overcome that, to to work through it. And a good way to do that is to try to focus more on the things that you can control and to focus less on the things that are outside of your control. Over the last year and a half, there have been so many uncertainties, as you say, so many novel stressors and, and so many things that have been challenging for us. And there's been sort of this undercurrent of stress all the time. And I think simply recognizing that and, and looking for ways to, to maybe make some, again, incremental progress around that by focusing on what we can control, sort of shrink your world in a sense. And rather than, than allowing yourself to focus too much on all of the variables or things that may go wrong in your return to work or you know, to sort of outline too many negative scenarios in your mind, to really just focus on the things that are within your control and to do your best in that regard. Do you think, too, there's a chance that for people who have been working from home and they're looking forward to going back to the office, they'll get there and it won't be what they expected. I found it for myself sometimes during the pandemic, I had to manage my expectations when I would go out and do things that I used to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think you use the, the precisely the right phrase, manage expectations. None of us really know 
what's on the other side of this, right? We don't know what it's going to look like once we're back in the office on a more regular basis. For me personally, it's once travel resumes. My work typically or prior to COVID involved heavy, extensive travel. Um, and so everybody, you know, the, the specifics are a little bit different with everybody's work situation, but none of us know exactly what it's going to look like or feel like. And I think just sort of starting with that premise and acknowledging that this is going to be an experiment and we have to be patient with ourselves, patient with others, and to try to just sort of flow with things to the extent possible rather than kind of locking ourselves into these rigid expectations. Because when you do that, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment, frustration, um, maybe anger. And so I think just let's be real. We don't know exactly how this is going to go, just as we didn't know exactly how a sudden and abrupt transition to remote working was going to go. We made it through it. And in many ways, it worked well. And so I think we just need to kind of keep that perspective in mind as we look ahead. We don't know exactly how it's going to work, but we'll keep putting one foot in front of the other. And as long as we're sort of patient with ourselves and others and willing to approach this as an ongoing experiment, I think hopefully that will diminish some of the unnecessary stress and distress that we experienced through this transition. Do you have the sense that in the past couple of months, as things started to open up, people are maybe a little bit less stressed and there's less, there seems to be like less instances of complete strangers being completely irate with each other. Um, there's less fighting on the Facebook message boards. <laughs> um, did, I've had that sense in Chicago, but I'm also kind of in my own little bubble. I hope so. That's, I guess, what I would say. I'm not sure that I've necessarily observed that. I don't use, but I, I don't use Facebook, right? And I left uh-huh. Twitter about a year ago. Oh um, wow! And those are two things that I've done for my own personal well-being, and I recommend them, incidentally. But um, I guess I would say. I hope so, because there has been uh, a lot of division and a lot of strife, a lot of hostility. Um, And when we're just sort of living with that as the backdrop, it can make just enjoying life and also your career more challenging. And so maybe that's something we all need to be thinking about going forward. And it's something I've been trying to, to stress with people whenever I have the opportunity to try and be a little bit more empathetic a little bit more understanding, a little bit more patient, and frankly, kinder as well to each other as we're coming through this, because we've all been through a hell of a year and a half, right? No need to to keep repeating that, but it's important to recognize. And I think what is warranted right now and what is certainly, I would imagine, going to be very welcome is more kindness, more empathy, more understanding, and more patience. I am curious, and some people might laugh at this question, but if you left Twitter, how do you promote your business? Yeah, well, not very successfully, perhaps, but I'm, I'm fortunate that I have the opportunity to do uh, you know, a lot of work that ends up being published, whether that's research or articles that I write. Um, you know, I certainly post what I, what I generate on LinkedIn. But for me personally, the cost-benefit analysis just simply didn't didn't make sense. I, I, I find uh, social media to be not only distracting, but it's really uh, opening yourself up to 
a, a lot of negativity that you're just kind of allowing into your life on a, on a daily basis, even a passive basis. And for me personally, so for other people, I should say as a disclaimer, other people perhaps derive great benefit and social connection from social media. But for me personally, I prefer to not be in that, in that sort of fray because there has been so much toxicity. That's interesting. So the only social media platform you use for work then is LinkedIn. That's right. Because of the negativity that's come from Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, it just, it, huh. for me personally, I, I didn't really find it to be an enjoyable experience and it, it ultimately began to, fit, to feel like a bit of a waste of time as well. I could see too, did you feel like perhaps you were attacked even more on Twitter um, as uh, being part of the recovery community? I could see where you'd get a lot of comments on that. Not necessarily, but I will say my experience was, and my observation certainly was, even of people that I really had a lot of respect and admiration for, my observation was that social media doesn't bring out the best in people. And I would find others, you know, sort of commenting on things in ways that I found to be disrespectful or not necessarily advancing a, a useful or helpful conversation or dialogue. And, you know, it just, it, it, it dawned on me that this is not a wise, wise use of our limited time on earth. Do you think other lawyers are leaving Twitter too? Maybe. Huh. I, I don't know. That. I couldn't really opine on because I have, I've left the platform and not really looked back. <laughs> well, perhaps after this podcast, you will get some questions from them right. uh, when they come to your seminars. Um, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I wanted to speak with you about how employers can foster a healthy, supportive environment as lawyers are coming back to their offices. We'll be right back. What would it mean for your firm's growth if your clients could pay you online from anywhere at any time? That's what you'll experience with LawPay. Our IOLTA-compliant payment solution helps you get paid easier, more securely, and 39% faster. Sign up today at LawPay.com. And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and my guest today is Patrick Krill, an attorney who's also a licensed and board-certified alcohol and drug counselor. His work focuses on lawyers and mental health. Patrick, as lawyers do start going back to their offices for employers that employ a large number of lawyers, or it's anyone, what are some things they can do to uh, help support an environment that's healthy and supportive? Well, it's a great question. I guess the first thing that I would say is to begin thinking about that right now, um, to, to begin thinking about not what is your long-term strategy around mental health and well-being, but what is your short-term strategy and even what tactics are you going to deploy to make people feel supported during this transition, to make the transition, frankly, as easy and successful for them as possible. And that involves simply recognizing and acknowledging, I would say, within leadership of the organization and down through management, acknowledging that the profile, the sort of collective mental health or psychological profile of your workforce has shifted. It's shifted. It's not the same workforce that you sent home a year and a half ago. And it's, you know, obviously not precisely the same workforce. Some people have left. 
Um, but even in terms of those who have been with the organization and are now coming back, they're not necessarily in the same place. People's needs may be more acute. They may be, as we've discussed, they may be struggling more than they were prior to the onset of COVID-19. And simp so simply recognizing that the landscape has changed. And then from there, I would say trying to be as open and transparent around mental health as possible, recognizing that simply coming back into the office and leaving the routine that they've established over the last year and a half is going to be anxiety inducing for some people. And in recognizing that, because one thing that you that any employer doesn't want to do, and they should really be trying to avoid this, I would say at all costs, is creating an environment where people feel like they just have to totally fake it as soon as they're back in the office. Um, that we could have a separate discussion around that, but that's been sort of a longstanding challenge in the legal profession where people felt like they couldn't really acknowledge um, kind of their emotional state or their mental health. But in a situation like we're facing now, where we have experienced so many personal challenges and so many hits to our mental health, to, to expect people to put up a, a really inauthentic facade and to present in a you know, fully professional all the time way where they give no hint of how difficult it's been, that's going to foster something known as emotional dissonance. And that tends to lead to bad things in a workforce, right? In a, in a work setting where people, they feel one way inside, but they feel compelled to present differently on the outside. And so I would say that employers really want to avoid creating that sort of dynamic. Well, it seems to me like pre-pandemic, that was a huge problem. During the pandemic, perhaps people had no choice but to address it. And if that continues to be a huge problem, once people go back to work, that seems like it could be devastating. I think that's right, because you point out a really good, and I would say one of the one of the positive phenomena that occurred during COVID-19 as we were all working remotely which was that in many contexts that the guard came down a little bit, right? And mm -hmm. we were willing to acknowledge our humanity. And I mean, you're, you're Zooming with people and you're, you're, you're kind of meeting with them and they're in their living room and you're in your living room or a bedroom, right? I mean, so many of the, of the walls were down. And I think we want to try and hold on to as much of that authenticity and humanity and realness as possible on the other side of this. Because if we go back and it's like, okay, back in the office, we're going to jettison that humanity that we've all been hopefully becoming used to over the last year and a half, that's not going to land well. And it will be, I would say, pretty jarring for some people if they feel like they have to go back to you know this sort of presentation that is totally perfect all the time. Is this something that mental health professionals are thinking about as people start to physically go back to office or to school? There will be uh, well some problems that come up for folks and perhaps more than we expected. Yes, absolutely. It's something I would say that mental health professionals have been experiencing, but they're also anticipating. But I think it's important to note that mental health care generally in the U.S. has been strained uh, pretty significantly during COVID. It's impossible to find a top It's impossible to find oftentimes. someone, right? Yeah. Because so many people have been struggling. 
And so um, resources, I would say, in many instances are already stretched pretty thin. And then this is going to present a new challenge that certainly will be quite distressing for some people. For lawyer employers that are going to try to go back to doing the old way of, of doing things, do you think besides this, the harm to people, could there be business harms as well? I've heard a little bit that for the firms that want their associates to come back to work, there's a good chance their associates might just lateral out. But then I heard maybe they won't. So Right. Again, and I, going back to what I was suggesting earlier, I'm not sure any of us know. I'm not sure any of us really know exactly how it's going to shake out, but certainly there are those indications or those sort of warning signs that people may sort of vote with their feet, if if you will, if they don't like the direction that their employer is going around a post-COVID work paradigm. And and so that's why I just think it's important for, for all employers to be as thoughtful and, and intentional during this moment as possible. Um, but we don't know because the reality is that some attorneys may be saying that they really are totally unwilling or not excited about going back to the office. Um, but at the end of the day, if that's what it, if that's what's required of them, they may, or they may go back into the office and find that they are experiencing some benefit that perhaps they had not been anticipating. Have you seen or heard of instances where legal employers are thinking about this and coming up with some really smart, creative ways to foster a return to work? I I would say employers are really a bit all over the place as it relates to their strategies for fostering a successful return to work. Where there is some uniformity, or at least where there appears to be some uniformity, is around the fact that uh, most employers are going to expect people to be back in the office at least half of the time, and in many instances, more than that. So it's it's a very small minority of employers, at least that I've learned of, who are going towards full remote on a permanent basis. But aside from that, I think it's it's really employer specific. One point that I will make, though, and I think that this is fundamentally important, when we do start going back into the office on a more regular basis. And after Labor Day, there are going to be a lot more social gatherings, networking events, right? And I think things are going to change pretty rapidly. It would be easy for a lot of these events or settings to kind of fall back on the default setting, which is plying people with booze, right? (laughs) Right. I mean, that's that's what we do. That's what law firms do. It's it's what tends to predominate in the legal social networking environment. And as the study that I had published earlier this year on stress and drinking and attrition in the legal profession, the data was captured during COVID. But you'll recall that demonstrated that many lawyers started drinking hazardously and their, their drinking really increased. We know that happened in the general population. And we also now have data showing that it happened among lawyers. And so, you know, if you get everybody back together, I think the inclination might be, let's start throwing some parties. Let's get people back in happy hours. Let's get kind of back to where we were. But recognize that you now have a lot more problem drinkers in your workforce than you used to. And we already had a lot of people struggling with substance use prior to COVID. 
And so looking for more creative ways to allow people to reconnect with their colleagues is well worth the time and effort and expense if there's expense associated with providing more creative outlets. I've been curious too, even if you have been drinking uh, this whole time during the pandemic, it's been at your house, either I guess by yourself or with loved ones and friends. When you go back out to like a law firm cocktail party, could it be totally different and really could have some pretty bad consequences because you're not used to drinking alcohol around a lot of people? Well, you you read my mind because that's exactly what I was thinking. And that's what I'm expecting. If I, I I keep saying how none of us know exactly how this next sort of quarter or this transition is going to fully play out. But one thing that I do feel pretty comfortable and confident predicting is that employers are going to see a lot more visible incidents Mm -hmm. um, because people are now drinking hazardously and problematically more so than prior to COVID. They're going to get back around their colleagues. And I just think you're going to see more people drunk at parties, right? Or Mm. at happy hours. And clearly that opens the door to a lot of problems, not Mm -hmm. only for the employer, but frankly, for the individual themselves, which is why I think if we can minimize the, the opportunities for that to occur, we would be well served. For yourself during this past um, almost year and a half, what are some things you feel like you learned during the pandemic about managing mental health and dealing with stress? This, this might sound a little bit off the wall, but, but I was watching, this was probably about a year ago. And so certainly we were kind of in the middle of the pandemic. But I was watching the Bruce Lee documentary that was done by ESPN. They have this documentary series called 30 for 30, right? And there's this Bruce Lee documentary called Be Water. And it was fascinating for me. Uh, this is very well, well done documentary. I think it won some awards. But his philosophy, right, in his I, you know, one of his most well-known sayings was essentially be water, which is – really, I think, has its roots in sort of Taoist philosophy, but it's this idea of kind of be water, go with the flow, allow yourself to move with things rather than resisting things. And, you know, I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about that over the last year, year and a half, and as it applies to my own life, because we have been confronted with so much uncertainty and so much change. And if you are someone who was pretty used to routine, and doing things a certain way and kind of having a sense of certainty about your life. And then we, we lived through the last 18 months. It can be really jarring. But if you're, if you're kind of adopting that philosophy or that mindset of just be water, I think that that can actually be empowering. And it can also, frankly, safeguard our health when we just take a little bit more of a flexible approach to all of the stimuli and all the circumstances that are confronting us on a weekly or daily basis. So I would like to think, short answer to your question, I'm just a lot more flexible and adaptable now, having lived through the last 18 months, I had to adapt to my business, I had to adapt so many things in my life. And it's it's um, sort of a, a mindset or an approach that I hope and plan to take with me as we emerge from this because with increased flexibility, I find comes just greater enjoyment of my life. 
do you see yourself going back to mostly in-person presentations or do you think a fair amount of your work going forward will stay online? I would expect to begin traveling um, a fair amount. I don't think it will be like it was. Uh, I used to travel constantly and I was typically always speaking live and in person. I've had some conversations with some of my larger clients and they are at this point anticipating that their training or educational needs will probably be hybrid in nature on the other side of the pandemic. Because, you know, you might not always have a critical mass in the office, but there is a recognition that in-person events maybe are a little bit better. So it'll probably be both. I wouldn't mind traveling less than I did, frankly, (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it was, you know, the frequent flyer miles are great, but it's also nice to, to be home. Well, and are there some things that you stopped during the pandemic that you didn't miss and you don't plan to start doing them again? That's a great question. Um, Nothing really comes to mind. I mean, the the one thing that I stopped clearly was travel. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I do have some desire to get back on the road and start traveling again. But there weren't necessarily... I would say in my own life, it's been more things that I've sort of built in or had time to do, right? I had, fortunately, I think gotten my life to a point where I had jettisoned a lot of the the behaviors or routines that weren't serving me well. But what this last year and a half gave me the opportunity to do was to start building in more things that are. That must feel really good that as opposed to falling back on old habits, you were able to improve things. It does feel good. It does feel good. And it feels like where where I would hope to be at this point after a year and a half of living through COVID. I, I'll say um, I didn't necessarily anticipate landing in this space psychologically, emotionally, energetically, spiritually after living through COVID. If you could go back and rewind to March, April, May of last year, I was just as apprehensive about what the future held as pretty much anybody was. But it's unfolded in a way for me personally that I think has has gotten me to a, a really good place. And there's probably a lesson in that, frankly, for all of us. Um, that maybe assuming the worst possible outcome is not the wisest approach. Hmm. Well, I remember we talked in March of 2020 and you were still advising people should get out and exercise every day. So you might have been more aware of it than you realized. Maybe, maybe, maybe (laughs) I was. And I'm fortunate and I've really enjoyed the fact that I've been able to do that myself more regularly than I could when I was always on a plane. Yeah, because then you just have to walk around the airport and that's not fun. (laughs) Well, Patrick, that's everything that I wanted to ask you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, Stephanie. Of course. And listeners, thank you for joining us today too. If you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journals, Asked and Answered.